Kia ora and welcome to this edition of CircuitCast. My name is Mark Williams and today's pod addresses the future of the arts after COVID-19. How do we organise our politics around the new situation? How do we organise our institutions? What role should artists play in this? How do we move beyond short-term solutions to long-term ones? And if the next crisis, climate change, is going to change daily life for all of us, what do we need to put in place now for the long term? Joining me to discuss these rather large questions today are three artists, Kia ora, Judy Dara, Ari Jansen, and Lisa Rehana. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. Nice to see you all. Um, I'd like to begin by um, asking everyone what has been the impact so far of COVID-19 on your artistic life? Perhaps um, we could start with you, Judy. Um, well, at the beginning of this, I thought, man, I can have a month, five weeks in the studio, and none of that has happened because with all of this crisis that's been happening, um, I've been sort of slightly anxious, and when you're like that, it's very hard to concentrate, and I found it very hard to actually, uh, my concentration's been very scattered and skittery, so I haven't really made much work at all. Plus, I'm also thinking, what's the point? <laughs> it's a bit negative, but um, I'm just, we just don't know what the artistic landscape's going to be like when we get out of this, and it seems like the arts are going to be the last thing to, I guess, get back on foot, um, you know, due to all these levels and things. Um, so there may be dealer galleries gone, overseas travel, residencies, all of, all of my kind of projects that I had for this year have sort of poof, just gone. So I'm feeling a little bit in limbo. Um, yeah, but I've been doing other things, I think, creative other things, you know, a bit of reading and things like that. Mm. Ari, what about you? Um, it's been pretty fantastic, actually, to be honest, for me, because I work at a school usually as a teacher aide. I've had no work for all of lockdown and also going to level three except for my part-time job which was granted as a um uh what's it called a essential service um so i've been getting paid the same amount as i usually would and have had all this time to work on music and painting um and like yeah i miss my friends and stuff, and I guess, like, compared to Judy, I, I didn't have a lot of plans, so um, luckily that hasn't, you know, ruined anything for the future, but with music as well, like, I've participated in two live-streamed um, music festivals, so it's kind of been really helpful for my creative output, to be honest. Well, that's good. Good to have some good news come out of this. What about you, Lisa? Ah, oh, Kilda. Um, well, I delivered six exhibitions this year between um, February and March. Um, so I, I was actually really, really looking forward to this moment in time. It's it's actually been um, since even prior to um, Venice Biennale, we've actually been working, touring um, in pursuit of Venice, and um, there's been a number of other um, presentations of that and lots of other shows, biennales, international, the 21 exhibitions last year. And um, so I was looking forward to a break and um, it was really funny how the 
timing worked out um, is that actually when I had my break, it's been very peaceful and very quiet um, in our house. I've really noticed the sound of traffic over the last two days, how much that's, that's changed. Um, but what that has meant has, because uh, there's a number of exhibitions still on show internationally, so it's meant a lot of admin, a lot of requests to extend exhibitions, but people don't know when they're going to open again, for how long they might want to do it. Like everybody's um, programs, their schedules, has gone completely out the window. So we're kind of fielding a lot of requests um, to do, and I hate admin. <laughs> I try to be a bit mental, but it's one of the things that we're kind of working on at present. Um, and it's and we've got a, three shows, three uh, projects we were doing in America, which look like they're still all going ahead, which I find um, kind of funny and frightening at the same time, thinking about um, the fact, you know, in some ways people are trying to keep moving forward, um, but whether, you know, one of, the, one of the great outcomes is we may not have to travel. <laughs> so, and I've done a lot of international travel. Um, but one of the things I just wrote down is, is that you were asking that question. For the creative industries, is a, uh, often New Zealand has compared itself against an internet, you know, we compare ourselves internationally. And I think over the next um, year or two, that, um, that yardstick is going to have to change. I think it'll be a really interesting thing for um, creativity within New Zealand and, and internationally, just trying to maybe we do look more local as opposed to global. Um, equally, um, having a global outreach is really important as well. It takes your work to different audiences. So I think these are really big uh, questions that we're... Um, logistics is really what we're dealing with a lot at present right now. Yes, I had that silver lining feeling too that um, because there will be no international travel and international exhibitions we don't know if they can operate and how it will operate it's all unknown so suddenly we're going to have to probably look at the local look at this whole idea of grassroots looking at artists that are actually here on the ground which I think would be really interesting I was talking to someone a musician um, a event person who said oh well we can't get international musicians anymore we're going to have to just run our festivals with New Zealand artists, and I went, my, this is just a gift, you know, that we can actually start to really think about how to sustain our communities from the grassroots up, and um, I'm very excited by that, and I think that this is an opportunity to continue that conversation, and we need to get it out to our organisations that come and talk to us, and this is the time that we as artists can have input into these conversations. Um, Usually artists aren't included in a lot of this decision-making and I kind of see this is our time to do that and I'm sort of poking institutions, come and talk to us, come and talk to us. Uh, Ari, Creative New Zealand moved pretty quickly to release um, new funds to help out artists. Have you or any of your peers tapped into that? Honestly, it hasn't even crossed my mind. <laughs> um, uh, it'd be worth looking at. Uh, I guess, like, my concerns are mostly for for music venues that I know are really struggling at this time and, uh, you know, at risk of going under and there's already limited. They've been due to, like, gentrification in central Auckland. 
our venues have been disappearing very quickly anyway, and this is just accelerating it. So I'd hope places like that could get funding or maybe reimagine how venues work um, under conditions where we could be spreading, dealing with the risk of spreading a virus for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of creative New Zealand funding, I don't even know what I would use it for. I'm, I'm so used to doing everything, you know, on the cheap, mm. that it hasn't even really entered my conscious. That's great, Ari. <laughs> yeah. ah, I love that. It's kind of sweet. But one day, when you want to have that full swizzy dizzy, <laughs> that's when you can say, you know, it's good it's to kind of create your own groundswell and it's kind of an interesting place to, to start from. Um, you know, and, and attached to that, I uh, work with a group called Pacific Sisters and we do costume and design and performance. And um, at present, as a collective, we're trying to put together something for um, CNZ and really... It, um, it's really interesting thinking about it because it has to be done within a COVID-4, COVID-3, COVID-2 um, mandate and how do you create work. Um, and I think uh, the reason we've all come together to try and do something collectively is because almost all of the sisters, all of the creatives, weren't feeling very creative and just that sense of having um, a community and um, just connecting once a week um, via Zoom meetings, just being able to see each other, talk to each other and have a little sort of background chat, I think has proved very um, fruitful for everybody and just, um, you know, just some people find it really, you know, I, I myself too, I think, oh my goodness, I'm not feeling very much like an artist at the moment because I am planning to do nothing <laughs> well just just to have a break um, but it's that strange feeling when you don't know if you can have an output and what that output's going to be so so yeah we're working up um, a sort of an online project that is really um, nice to keep us connected and a way of looking generating resources for future projects and as a way of creating an archive um, because uh, Pacific Sisters had their first major exhibition or recognition with the show to Papa that travelled to Auckland Art Gallery. And one of the things that we discovered along the way is because it, that as a collective we come together before the internet, a lot of younger um, audience didn't even know about us because that's their primary way of finding this material. So it's actually kind of pushed us forward into, you know, creating a resource for, for ourselves. So we make an inward resource that's to feed our practice and our knowledge, whether it turns into an artistic work or not, but then have some kind of um, public face as well. Mm. Um, to pick up your point, Ari, I think that that whole idea of space is really important. And what I've been thinking about in terms of ways that artists, how we can be supported, um, sure, there's money and there's all that kind of stuff that CNZ are sort of gathering up and distributing again. But that feels like phase one. You know, that feels like a, a bit of an emergency kind of response. But, you know, I would really like to see things like studios established 
um, venues established, um, creative hubs, you know, a whole lot of sort of sharing of resources. So the theatre community, you know, you could operate under, a, a, you know, a hub of management so you don't have to multiply all this administration and all that kind of stuff and, and just more sort of collaborating and more um, self-organising. And I just, I've sort of, I've had a few meetings and conversations with people who are sort of getting stuff going and every time I bring up this whole idea, again, I'm going to, it's about come and ask us what we want. Studio spaces, mentoring, sustain, sustainability, art back in education, artist wage. And it's kind of like everyone sort of doesn't, they're not used to having us having input into these conversations. So there's quite a bit of resistance mm. from these organisations and it's quite frustrating. And um, that's one of the reasons why we, a group of us got together and made Art Makers Aotearoa, which is a self-organising um project and what we want to do is get a database of database of artists and and we're talking about sustainability education care etc support diversity um and how those things can sort of be highlighted and the next stage at some stage maybe it's level two um we're going to have start to have hui and get these conversations going and get get these real needs you know rather than just throwing money let's just have infrastructure that can be sustainable like what you're doing Lise with um Pacific Sisters you're actually building an infrastructure so yeah. I just think this is a really good opportunity to get all that going while everything's a bit chaotic um you know what is it never waste a crisis um has Ari also touched upon a um, problem that in fact goes back a long way before the present crisis which is that we've kind of built a culture of self-exploitation in the arts in New Zealand where we think that um, we're not really owed any um, recompense for our labour on any kind of level. And so uh, maybe that even is more intensely felt by, say, Ari's generation, who've been born into an era where you pay student fees and that's just the way it is. Um, and where there is this kind of lack of support, whereas, you know, like I know for myself, um, I started university in the first year of student fees. The idea that you would have to pay for an education was still up for grabs, you know what I mean? But now it's kind of like embedded in society. Um, so I think, Judy, some of the things you're talking about, in fact, go back a very, very long way. Um, I think it's um, also this idea, we're really in this kind of moment where what's going to happen with the bricks and mortar when we can get outside of this lockdown period as opposed to the complete opposite is living a life digitally. Um, I think there could be some really good opportunities uh, for, for potentially for artist spaces. It was much easier to find artist spaces when I was younger and buffing around Auckland. I mean, we used to live illegally in buildings in the city and, you know, have hidden beds and all this sort of stuff because nobody liked the idea of you living in the city. They didn't like the idea, you know, it's, it's where business happens. It's not where people live. Uh, but I think, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting if there could potentially be, you know, there's a whole lot of building sites just sitting fallow at the moment. Um, but hopefully, I mean, ideally um, patrons would help with buildings that could become shared um, studio spaces. I know of um, a couple of um, Australian patrons and one of the things, he's a very rich man, but what he decided to do was to help choreographers and 
uh, just um, top on a building and, and decked it out and made it uh, like a, a, re, um, a residency space that people can go in and spend time in. And we don't really, we don't have patrons doing that type of work and we're often um, either waiting for the government to do it for for us or, I mean, I suppose it's a bit like the old test strip day, say. Mm. You know, yeah. just finding a space and then utilising it across a, a, a bunch of people. Yeah, I just, yeah, I think this is a really good time to just get all our needs a bit more um, concrete and then present them, you know. And I think maybe, I mean, CNZ, um, they do seem to have the the pathway to government and um, that is maybe the way to go through. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but... Um, and I'm not sure if there's a, an appetite for them to kind of be interested in other voices at the moment. I think they're probably spinning out a bit too. But I know that they've had phase one and then there's phase two. They talk about a phase two. And I think that is where we can have input if they let us, you know, or if they come to us and ask us. And I, um, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like we need, they've got all the resources, they've got the money, they've got the structure. Um, and it feels like that's the pathway that we can try and get change and they can step up. They've already kind of stepped up to this advocacy thing. Um, maybe leadership could be the next thing. Ari, if, have you had any thoughts about things that you would like to see change when all of this ends um, and we can all be a community moving together? I think, I mean, definitely more funding into creative industries but I'm also pretty doubtful about that I think everyone's going to be really concerned about the economy and you know just getting businesses back up and running I've, I imagine that's pretty unlikely um, I think that I think that we have seen creative industries being sidelined I mean it's been an ongoing battle since probably forever but um, I think like things like just spaces and art schools being becoming smaller and smaller and funding being cut more and more. I think uh, during this uh, lockdown period, a lot of creatives have turned even more to using the internet and it's almost like a great equaliser because most services on the internet you can use for free. Um, and it would it would be cool, I guess, kind of as Judy was saying, it'd be cool to see that pulled more into the real world, like where artists create their own platforms, I guess, um, be on the internet, but also on the internet. Mm. It must be remembered that... Um the, inter the internet is not equally available to all artists. There are communities out there that do not have broadband, that do not, ha you know, like the, you know, where I'm lucky, I mean, I'm a, I'm a digital artist and I work in that space, but I'm particularly thinking that there are a lot of people who don't have that access to. So, um, so I am interested to see what, what can shake down out of this 
process. Also given that we won't be traveling as much and so it will be a bit more inward looking and, and perhaps that is one of the, um, something to advocate for, you know, as, as part of that idea of creating spaces here in New Zealand and making other resources available in various manners. People work in various different ways, but um, yeah, certainly it's a bit like what's happening with uh, education for kids going back to school. Not everybody has a, has a computer, so you can't, there's a whole lot of people that don't even have a voice at the moment. That's a really good point, Lisa. Um, I think, yeah, that sh should maybe we need to see access to internet and technology as a basic need that needs to be met, including, you know, housing and access to resources that all need to be met and aren't being met yet. Yeah. I think that's why libraries are really um, wonderful spaces. I thought about it a lot when we were over in um, Sydney earlier this year because a lot of people go to the libraries because they get access to um, material, education and, and, and to the internet. But of course, right now, people can't go to the library. So that's, that's where, you know, they're kind of missing out on a lot of stuff that's happening. So, yeah, it's something to, um, as part of the equation. Judy, I want to go back to Artsmakers Aotearoa, if we could, for a moment. Essentially, it seems to me what you're proposing is that there is a union to represent the community of artists in New Zealand and that they have a seat at the table when government make decisions about the arts. Is that correct? We're pretty keen on getting artists' advisory boards over everything. So right. CNZ has an artist advisory board. All of our institutions have artists' advisory boards, galleries, art spaces. So we're all over everything with the new COVID. <laughs> you know, no one makes a move without consulting artists because all of these decisions that organisations make are all affect us and we have got no input. And you, like Ari says, it's called an industry. In an industry, the workers get paid. We're the workers, we don't get paid. So the language that, that, use, that uses to describe what we do is flawed, you know, um, we are the workers, we have no power, we have no, we don't get paid. So that, that's all wrong. Everyone else gets paid except the artist. Um, and also I was thinking about audience, you know, how do we get our audiences back? Because when, when we make work, we need an audience, you know, a, a theatre or a gallery or a space or a band rotunda, you know, you need someone there to make, you know, art as an exchange, a conversation. And um, you know, I think there's going to be a long time before people feel confident to go back into a theatre or, you know. Um, yeah. So we've got these creators. We've got New Zealand Ballet. We've got Symphonia. All of these huge companies who are getting paid, they actually do get paid. You know, what are they going to do? How are they going to get their audiences? Maybe it's back on the buses. Maybe they're going to have to go and find their audience, you know. So... A hot, they, everyone needs to think about how they're going to work post this thing because it's not going to be the same. Um, yeah. Ari's situation at the moment, it, it seems to me, Ari, you're kind of almost um, embodying like an old scheme that's existed in the past, like an artist's wage. I mean, Absolutely. <laughs> would you like this situation to sort of carry on the way it is where you get a kind of, uh, for want of a better phrase, universal basic income for being an artist and you carry on working with some sort of balance of work and art in this way? Is that, would that be one potential future that would be helpful for you as a creative person? 
A hundred percent. I mean, yeah, that's that's what I've always dreamed of. That's what I've always wanted. Um, you know, it's like a, a fairy tale that I hear from my parents. <laughs> um, that, you know, artists can actually make art and survive and not spend all their time working a job that they're not passionate about just to survive and then have no time to make art. Um, yeah, that's that's the dream for sure. Hey, Ari, can I ask you a question? So a lot of your friends probably would have had part-time jobs and all that kind of stuff. Are, are those jobs still around or are they disappearing? Or um, I guess I can't. I can't, I don't actually have that many friends in the hospitality industry and I imagine those are the people who are suffering the most at the moment. In terms of like my living situation, everyone is still employed. I've got three flatmates working from home. One of them works in construction and she's just gone back to work and I'm still getting paid from the Ministry of Education. Um, and then other friends are mostly unemployed or still working so I mean for the people I know we've been really lucky. Judy and, and Lisa um, there's been some schemes in the past that have been set up to benefit artists like the artist wage. Uh, Judy you mentioned PACE schemes the other day. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any particular schemes from the past you would like to see revived? Um, there was six month service which was really good. That was a six month contract where you went um, you got paid the uh, minimum wage or the dole, basically, but you worked in the community with an art practice and that, that was people like Warwick Broadhead who used to do these amazing theatrical productions and um, um, and that was working with the community, taking art to the community, so you're paid to be an artist in the community. There was PIPs, oh no, not PIPs, yeah. PACE, P which was... PEP, was it PEP? PEP. PEP, yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. And that was another um, where you would be almost like an internship as an um, young mentor. So you would get equivalent to the dong and um, you would be mentored to an artist and learn skills for, I think, was, I think that was also six months, something mm. like that, that used to exist back in the 80s. Mm, that's right. And then there was Pace, which was like the artist doll. So you enrolled on the doll but you were kind of an artist. so. But it was a bit flawed because it was called the artist doll and so people yeah. saw it as something negative and it went through the employment department. Whereas I think if they paid artists through arts and culture, you know, it would be a different kind of um, thinking around, you know, you're being paid to be an artist. It's not, it's not a, a, a doll in a sense. And I think also we have to think about what art, artists give to the community and that value idea again, like... Um, probably this is the perfect time when people need art, you know, they need to kind of just disconnect for a while and, exp you know, have some joy or something. And, and I think artists are going to be really necessary in these next few, you know, probably 12 months, if you like. I also did, um, I think, I don't know when it was, but I, I remember being paid and it was like a, you, uh, like a business, you would go and learn business, how to put a business proposition together, business model, and um, there was tra training for um, annual 
just really tax and all that kind of stuff. It was really good because it was very focused on how do you create a business after you've finished university. So, and that wasn't really taught when I went through Elam. I don't know if they do it now, but it was it was good because it was sort of if you knew you wanted to be an artist, then you could concentrate on thinking about how you could apply um, the knowledge that they were sharing. So, and you got paid to do that. So it was another sort of internship, but really um, geared towards artists, artists, um, tax, etc. So I think those could be really, um, I mean, these are really good logistical, meaty sort of things to to share that kind of takes it out of the arts, you know, I mean, you'd have to talk about those things during any arts training, but to actually think about it on its own and just get your head into it is, um, was quite useful for me. And Lisa, I just want to ask you, in terms of the moving image specifically, are there any schemes from the past that you think ought to be resurrected? Uh, yeah, there was this wonderful one. In fact, they pulled the funding that I always wanted to do it. Um, Don Selwyn um, used to do this year-long training scheme for Maori filmmakers. And in fact, when you look at some of the, you know, like the, the great crews who are in Wellington as well as in Auckland. A lot of them went through his training course um, and that was uh, producing and filmmaking at all levels across the film industry. Um, and when I finally got in, the day after we started, the government pulled the funding on that. So I never... I never got to do that. So I suppose it's interesting. I mean, I've always made films, but I probably would have ended up in a slightly different part of, I probably would have ended up doing things slightly differently than I am now. Um, but that was a really, really good, uh, you know, just a year-long course. So, And it wasn't associated with a um, tertiary or a polytechnic. It was really um, done with a Maori kaupapa. So it had quite a different feeling, I think, for all the attendees. I think they would take on about eight people a year, ten people a year. I think of the Screen Innovation Production Fund too, um, partly because it was a collaboration between Creative New Zealand and the New Zealand Film Commission. So what that meant was that artists weren't kind of siloed off to the side as being some kind of bunch of discrete weirdos, but were sort of like seen as a kind of joint responsibility of the entire filmmaking artistic community, if you like. And I just wonder if maybe there's something in that about the need for the arts to be seen as more integrated into our overall artistic life. It's not about the mainstream versus like the fringe weirdos. It's, it just needs this kind of healthier um, conception of how the arts are part of our overall cultural landscape. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was talking to Jude Chambers, who um, uh, works international um, at CNZ, and also Dale Corlett, because I had a project, and I was saying, can we co-fund? Because I used to sit on the um, Screen Innovation Production Fund, and it was really interesting, because you did have Film Commission, and you did have CNZ, and so the there was a quite a beautiful broad range of proposals that would come across um you know be pitched each each uh, funding round uh, and it was really good to have film commission seeing what was going on in the room you know there was anima there was all sorts of animations documentaries drama experimental you know whatever um, but they really wanted to um film commission at that time really wanted to take their funding and really funnel it into drama and looking at making feature films. So it's, I listened to Annabelle Sheehan 
speaking on the radio yesterday or a couple of days ago. I mean, it's, there's a there's a lot that um, a lot at stake. I think at the moment for the for the film community. I agree. And yeah. I think also um, our institutions, our galleries. You know, at the moment, it's it's a really good opportunity to okay, forget the program. That's not going to work. Let's let's have a look at what's going to work, you know, and they can be creative and take risks. I'd love to see some more risk-taking in our institutions, you know, respond to this um, this crisis in a really creative way, you know, um, throw out the old and the bad and, you know, get some really interesting, valid stuff happening, you know. What's the old and the bad? Could you give us an example, Judy? Something the old and the bad. Well... <laughs> The good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> the sort of reliance on the, the heavily curated um, kind of ponderous exhibitions, you know, like um, rather than light and nimble, you know, like you could just react and bring something together in two weeks and bring the energy in and uh, collaborate. Get all our, our Auckland galleries should start collaborating with, with each other and share resources and... Um, you know, what are we going to do with our space? Oh, maybe we could just give it to a dance community for six months, you know, and and produce something, you know. So the spaces are actually more living and, struck, you know, and actually giving back. Um, I think that whole idea of, you know, curated solo exhibitions and all that is a, maybe isn't going to work anymore. It's a very tired model. Um, open the doors, you know. <laughs> yeah. Ari, what, what's, um, what's old old hat for you? Um, old hat for me, I think, is probably, like, I feel like there's a lot of elitism in the art world in terms of um, an expectance on the audience to have some kind of academic knowledge behind what they're looking at. Um, I'd like to see people, artists, and institutions reaching out to a wider audience and kind of do that thing of drawing someone into something because it looks or feels or sounds interesting and then tells them something that is thought-provoking but anyone can actually understand as opposed to having to have some kind of formal arts training to interpret. But can you have both? I mean, art is a sophisticated language. I mean, Of course. It is, yeah. But, um, yeah, I think you can have both, and I think successful artworks do that. But I also think that I myself, having had four years of art school education, have walked through a gallery and not understood a thing. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I still think, you know, that, that maybe that is the provocation is to try and drill down into something and seeing it in another way. I'm just thinking um, one of one of the boards that I'm on is um, for the Hundavasa Museum in Whangarei. And uh, it was kind of about four or five weeks of being, it's building completion, so that just stopped. I think it's just started again as of yesterday. Um, and I'm on um, the Wairau board because uh, Frederick Hundavasa was very keen to he only agreed to having an, another 
museum built or as final um, plans built as long as there was a Māori art gallery at the centre of it. So for me, because I've never lived in the far north, but that's where my um, iwi association is, Ngāpuhi, wanting to support that community, uh, we're pushing to create a gallery and trying to work out what, it, what is this thing, what, what is a Māori art gallery, what does it mean, what is, does it have to be high art, um, is it for the community, who is the community, uh, who wants to see it, is it international, we know that a lot of um, international curators when they come to New Zealand they're always very interested in um, the indigenous arts practices from here, so um, and, and yet that's still built on quite an old fashion model in a way except for the fact that what it has is this famous Viennese artist which attracts a certain a different audience and then has this other completely different cultural artistic outputs sitting alongside each other so that's the model for a, a new museum for the far north in the hopes of um, you know creating a really nice economic strategy and a, a positive focus for the communities up there and for Māori artists here, like having a um, very much a very particular Māori art gallery. Well, just to um, finish up, Judy, I want to ask you, what's next for Arts Makers Aotearoa? How do you take this, this idea and action it uh, or take it to the next level? So um, uh, there's a group, of, we've been working on it for about two or three years, this thing, it's taking quite a while to get to this point and um, it just serendipitous it just sort of finally formed itself we got the website done just um, post lockdown so it kind of worked to our advantage that we could um, actively get sign up members we've got about 250 members now so um, and we're still doing call outs um, the idea as I said was to somehow we've actually called for um, any kind of feedback or concerns or shared resources and things, that's stage one. And then stage two, this will go to uh, Hui and that will be advertised um, at some stage. We're looking maybe June, July, depending on the lockdown. Um, and then from that Hui, we will, I guess, start to have these conversations about what, do, what does the art, what do you guys need? You know, how can we work with these other bodies and how can we kind of instigate change from you know the grassroots from the bottom um so we've got sort of questions provocations that are on the website um and then it's it's kind of like a, a bat and ball thing you know we're sort of it's it's horizontal leadership it's the whole group leads you know we're, we're, we're not the we're just the instigators so we're just trying to model a whole different way of working it, um it is self-organizing it, it could be seen as a union but i think I think we don't want it to be a union. We want it to be more an, an advocacy group, yeah. Okay. Well, that's fantastic, and uh, congratulations for going on the front foot. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, uh, for your uh, participation in the conversation today. Uh, plenty of things to chew on there, and I'm sure the conversations will continue into the future. Um, thank you very much for listening to Circuitcast. Thanks for having me. Lovely to talk to you all.